Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. The Land Down Under, the Aussies, the Lucky Country, Oz, all nicknames for the area of the world that seems to have almost gone unnoticed by authors of the history textbooks. How come we don't learn much about Australia, some of our students ask yearly. Well, you're about to, kids. Grab a cup of coffee, because you know we are, and we're going to take you back to the 1930s and talk about one of the forgotten wars that the Australians underwent in the early 1930s. While the world was feeling the effects of the Great Depression and Germany was giving in to the rise of fascism under Adolf Hitler, there was an active war on the smallest continent in the world, yet the sixth largest country. A Strange Bird Part 3 is coming at you right now on this episode of The Missing Chapter. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast. You're here with Phil Schaff and Phil Hornder. Phil, summer edition. Mm-hmm. Summer edition of the missing chapter, I would say. We're winding things down. It's the end of August. You and I are going classic, classic coffee, just a Duncan original blend. We're keeping it very basic. Um, you can't go wrong with Duncan. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, and as 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 I get closer to going back to school, the the trips to Duncan will only increase. Facts. Um, so it's kind of nice to have a, a, a nice warm glass of Duncan. We're in here. Um, you're kicking off our first trilogy. Yeah. Uh, in two seasons, which I, I you have me intrigued, as, as I'm sure our, our listeners are. Yeah. And speaking of that, let, yeah. let me just start off by saying on air and to answer any question that, that some of our listeners are probably asking themselves, what the heck is my obsession with birds? Mm-hmm. I, 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 listen, I know this is part three of a strange bird. I get that. I promise you on air listeners, it's not, this is not like my closet obsession with winged animals. It's not, I promise mm-hmm. you. It's, it's, it's seriously, it's history almost revealing itself. Uh, basically an obsession that I never knew existed in a lot of these powerful leaders. So you know, Phil, and it's, like I said, it's our first trilogy. It's, it's um, um, something that's kind of new. You and I try to do some new things with the podcast yeah. as, as we wind down season two, we're getting ready to go back to school and, you know, essentially kick off season three. Right. Um, what, what are you looking forward to next season before Boy, we get to this particular a, episode? It's a great question. I think, um, you know, we had, we had a fantastic episode. I think probably my favorite episode, uh, was with Christopher Bench, mm-hmm. uh, towing around, uh, the mid July episode. I, that was one of my favorites. And I think it was, it was something that was a little out of the ordinary for us as far as interviewing, because it was a remote interview. Right. Um, it was someone who was incredibly, uh, powerful in his field, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly knowledgeable. And I got to tell you, one of the best interviews we've had because he was just so uh, personable and knowledgeable, as I said. I think um, 
for next season, I want to continue that. We want yeah. to expand on, on some um, more guest speakers, more surprises. Right. Uh, and, and another one is getting more hometown histories. Yeah. The, the yeah. John Steglin episode is probably my second favorite. Uh, because Alex just did a fantastic job, and we got uh, great feedback. Yeah, that that's where I was going. Um, because you can't go wrong with either one of those episodes. You know, you and I try very hard to kind of mix things up from time to time. That was kind of like our our theme going into season two, and I think you know that'll carry us into uh, season three as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, get us started with your your episode today. I'm looking forward to this one. Okay, so to recap, for those of you that may not know, uh, part one and two. Um, a Strange Bird Part 1 was all about Kim Jong-un's obsession with ostriches. Very random, I know. Uh, and using them as, as essentially like a delicacy while his people starve to death. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, spending millions to do so, right? And Part 2 uh, was about Chairman Mao's obsession with four pests, as he called it, as part of his Great Leap Forward, getting rid of sparrows, spending millions of dollars, requiring uh, millions of people to bang pots and pans together to bring sparrows to the ground to be killed. What was the result? A staggering billion, that's right, with a B, billion birds killed and even larger locust populations now on the rise, which decimated even more crops than the sparrows did originally, thus creating an even larger problem than he had uh, before he went on this quest to kill sparrows. So if you don't know what I'm, I'm talking about, please refer back to season two, episode 34, and then season one, episode 31, and listen again. And P.S., Strange Bird Part One, believe it or not, Phil, I just checked before we we went on air, is actually our third most popular uh, storyline and episode. It's gotten almost a thousand plays in less than a year. So one of our our more obscure episodes, and certainly one of our more more popular ones as well. Yeah, I, I that doesn't surprise me because I remember when that was first released, um, the weekend numbers were huge. Yeah, through very... the roof. So I, I'm not sure if it was the North Korea uh, element. Yeah. Or if it was the title that grabbed them. Yeah, I'm curious. But it too. definitely was one that really uh, got, like you said, a, a ton of listens and resonated very well with our with our audience. Yeah. So so now that I think we've laid the backdrop for my lack of obsession with birds, let me start off by giving you, I think, something a little bit different than I've ever done before. I'm going to go a little bit off script here by giving you kind of like an opening scene of an action movie. Okay. Okay. So if you could just picture this, I'm gonna I'm going to kind of... I don't know, go a little producer mode on you, mm -hmm. all right? And see if you can start figuring this out and piecing this together. Because I honestly think this would be an awesome opening scene. All right, here we go. Opening credits fade in. The words Australia 1932 arise out of the fog. Some intense fight scene music fades in. The audience immediately hears the sound of soldiers arming themselves with 10,000 rounds of ammunition. The sound of artillery being mounted, clips being forced into high-powered weapons. The sound of steel clanging together and snapping back as soldiers prepare their pistols and automatic rifles. No voices yet, though. Just the sound and the feeling of anticipation, not knowing what's about to come around history's corner or how the enemy will fight back as the generals try to advance into enemy territory. The sound of the first gunshot rings out, surprisingly, almost piercing the ears of audience members and the actors alike. One after another, shots ring out to the point where now there are so many shots being fired that they've almost merged into one uniform sound. Still no voices. Until one soldier after the other begin to retreat and put their weapons down, silencing the battlefield of noise, but filling the air with the smell of gunpowder. 
the first soldier to speak is the bravest, the one that all the others have rallied around in the past, the one that everyone looks to for guidance and courage. And unfortunately, his words on the battlefield aren't ones of encouragement, they're of bewilderment. He says, men and women in arms, today we've met our match. This devastating failure on this battlefield today is not because of our will to fight, but because of the quickness and toughness of our enemy. Journalists covering the battle report back that despite their efforts, soldiers and generals alike are struggling to find the breakthrough and that the enemy is formidable, quick, and tough. Newspapers are constantly printing new war strategies devised by experts who are all recounted later that it would take more than a couple of bullets to bring the enemy down. And it was also revealed subsequently that nearly all the enemy targets escaped the attack. Months passed by. And now the Australian military was launching full-blown war day after day after day against the enemy. Soldiers responded to reports every day of more enemies flocking with a strategy of their own to counter the attack. Soldiers got closer and, and shot by shot, the enemy started to fall from all directions. The enemy casualties were still, though, only a few dozen. The army even shifted to guerrilla warfare, but to no avail. But with every new strategy, the enemy seemed to adapt to the battle in 38 days past, most of them very intense battles, guns jamming, vehicles breaking down, only a few hundred of the enemy killed, the army was asked to call off the war. Sure enough, the government asked the military to wave the white flag, and they did. Now, to give you a final answer of who the enemy was, let me tell you basically what this, and finalize this segment with the name of the war. Okay. okay, we've set the scene. There's the opening act. Here's the war. And before you do that, Phil, let yeah. me speak on behalf of our audience who just got done hearing you recount that. Yeah. This is why students love being in your class. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well done. I was like sitting here. I was like, this is this is really good. <laughs> okay, you good. should be doing uh, maybe stories uh, on DVDs or, yeah, or stories go. on CDs rather sure. and uh, reading books. Maybe that's the second Maybe half of the missing yeah. chapter segment. I don't know. There yeah. you go. All right, go ahead. The name of the war, and remember, this is an actual war. Okay. The Great Emu War. The Great Emu War. In 1932, oh, boy. <laughs> Australians took the battlefield against emus. Okay. Now, if that's not a missing chapter... <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> so let me give you a direct quote. Okay. Okay. And we'll, we'll kick off the last portion of this segment here. The army, remember direct quote here. The army mm -hmm. also acknowledged that quote, each pack seems to have its leader. Now a big black plumed bird, which stands fully six feet high and keeps watch while his, <laughs> while his mates carry out their work of destruction and warns them of, of our, excuse me, of our approach Major GPW Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery said in an interview to Australian media. So, yes, emus. The battle was won. And although the storyline that I gave you, the uh -huh. scene that I depicted, was obviously satirical on my part, all of the details that I gave you were 100% true. Wow. Guns jamming, them trying to figure out how to, how to get by. Even the, the enemy casualty numbers were all emus. So they were they were trying to get rid of this population and just couldn't win. They lost the battle in 1932 against emus. Uh, speechless. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. 
they may have stopped the military campaign, but they didn't stop trying. They sought help from farmers instead. Okay. Okay. okay? So the Australian government opted instead to provide farmers with ammunition Mm -hmm. free of cost on a need to need basis. And they also promised to build a 200 kilometer wall, which by the way, never really fully materialized, but they also incentivized the farmers by placing bounties on emus. The farmers continued killing emus and collecting their bounties for many years uh, later after the end of uh, the war in 1932. According to the Australian Wildlife Protection Council, the law on hunting emus is, is pretty clear, but their status was changed from protected species so they can be killed um, if they enter private properties and, and culled with an appropriate gun license. Okay. So okay. they can be targeted is essentially what that word culled means. Um, as Republic World News Source states, quote, now nearly 90 years later, veteran soldiers turned farmers may have had the last laugh, but there's no denying that emus still won the great war against a fully packed Australian army, nearly despite all odds stacked against them. And after the break, we'll talk about the most obvious question about this war in 1932 against emus. Why? Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Over the last two seasons, we've enjoyed bringing unknown stories from history to you every weekend. Now it's your turn to bring a story to us. Every town in every corner of the world has a story, and its history is our history. Tell us the story about your hometown and what makes it special or unique. We're calling it Hometown History. Who or what is your town known for? Tell us your hometown story either in an email or a voice message from our Facebook page. Phil and I will choose one hometown's history to research and profile in a full episode of Season 3 of The Missing Chapter. And we'll contact you to be a part of it. Every hometown has a story. The next chapter we add to the history textbooks could be yours. So, Phil, um, during the break, I've gotten over the initial shock of, of you know, the, the first part of the story and the emus being the enemy. And it makes sense because, I mean, if you look throughout history, there are examples of like invasive species right. of various kinds, you know, being destructive. And, and therefore having to be targeted. Um, I'm, I guess my questions center around what were the emus doing? Yep. Are, are emus native to this area? I believe. I, okay. I was wondering too, how they got there, if they'd been brought there um, for like a specific purpose. Yep. But um, you know, it does make sense as bizarre as it is, you know, my initial shock, it's like, okay, yeah, we've seen this before. Yeah. And it, and it goes back to strange bird part two, where Mao is trying to take out the sparrows because they were right. ruining some of the crops. But remember, spoiler alert, if you haven't listened, in his attempt to get rid of the sparrows, it, locusts come in and ruin even more property. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the, the right. famine that kills almost 70 million people. You know, you have that delicate balance that exists in nature. 
you know, exactly. that one species holds the key to. But like, you know, as I'm listening and, and we discussed during the break, you know, I think of like invasive species of fish mm-hmm. that infiltrate certain lakes yep. um, and can be extremely destructive. You know, various places throughout history, you've heard about like, you know, for instance, like wild boars. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that are aggressive mm-hmm. um, and having to be um, killed off. So I'm interested to hear, you know, some of why the, the emus were in this area and what they were doing. Yeah. Cause it, when you think of like 1932, mm-hmm. uh, this would be the last thing on your list of, right. of world events with right? all the things going on. Of course. So the beginning of this war though, the decision to go into full out war, it actually can be traced back almost two decades before uh, going back to 1915. Hmm. Now for you historians, we, we obviously know what was taking place in 1915, but the Australian government at this time launched a soldier settlement program to help world war one vets uh, trying to find employment because they couldn't afford to pay them pensions during the height of the Great Depression. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm guessing most people either didn't know or maybe had forgotten that almost a half a million Australians fought in World War I. Uh, this new program planned on, on compensating over 5,000 soldiers with huge plots of farmland for cultivating wheat, rearing sheep, etc. This The scheme really saw soldiers settling in Western Australia in one of the most remote and inhospitable lands, hmm. and it's known as emu country. Um, seven years though, into the project, emus began to really devastate these newly acquired farms. Okay. So in a, in a scramble, they're trying to figure out what to do to get rid of this. The government quickly reclassified them, as I, um, mentioned earlier from protected species to vermin. Hmm. Uh, so once again, going back to almost like that, um, episode of strange bird part two, where it's now like a pest, a pest problem. So quote, meticulous documentation on the issue, uh, by Republic news source shows that by 1932, over 20,000 emus were confirmed to be stomping over farmlands and eating crops grown by the soldiers. So remember, this is the same time that the Great Depression, um, you know, is making farmers' lives even harder. So lacking enough ammunition to kill the emus, the farmers were threatened, uh, threatening to abandon their lands, demanding the government to find more prospective properties and lands to relocate them there. So it was then on November 2nd, 1932, that the Australian army intervened after a lot of pressure from the farmers unions and other activists. And, and when you lay it out that way, you go from like the, the humorous element to, yeah, this was a pretty, you know, serious situation when yeah. you're dealing with, with birds of this size um, in this population and the destructiveness during this time period. Yeah. I mean, this was a serious concern. It was a serious concern. Yeah. yeah. And it was, and it was frustrating for obviously the, the soldiers who I, who obviously just served mm-hmm. endured world war one. Right. They're trying to get their lives back together and they're, and it's being destroyed by a winged animal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times when we go through battles, we go through wars, we look at both sides and say, you, you got to give it to the other side who, who eventually lost, mm-hmm. but man, were, were they, you know, really ardently fighting. And I, the quote that really stuck out in me when I, when I started doing this research was the following, which I think sums up the efforts of the emus. All right. It says, quote, if we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. Wow. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. The major leading the offensive was quoted saying about this incident.
Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.